You are listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Heights Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. For more information about our church, you can find us at heightschurch.org. We have been in a series over the last couple of weeks called Asking for a Friend. And each week we've been taking a, a kind of difficult question of life and of the faith and unpacking the answer uh, from the Bible. And so the first week we talked about, are we, are we living in kind of the end times? You know, are we in the last of days? And then last week we looked at answering the question, where is God in this COVID world? Where is God when we suffer what hope do we have in, in times that seem so uncertain? And so as we've been kind of giving you those questions to think through, we want to take your questions. So whatever questions you have about your faith, what we're going to be doing is starting in October, answering those questions on our, our podcast. And so thank you so much for the ones you have submitted so far. Uh, if you've got one, you can simply just write it down on this welcome card back in the prayer request section. You don't have to put your name on this, but if you've got a question you want us to answer. We'll be more than happy to do that. For those that are watching online, just simply message our Facebook page with your question and we'll answer that as well. And then at the end of the service, you take that card and there are gray boxes that are on black tables by the doors and just simply put that in that box and we will answer that in the month of October on our podcast. But here's the question that we want to answer this morning and and why we're going to start in Romans 1 is because we're going to move through several passages here in Romans. And here's the question. What happens to people who have never heard of Jesus when they die? So for somebody in our world that has never heard about Jesus Christ, when they die, what happens? Where do they go? Do they go to heaven uh, or, or do they go to hell? What happens to the person who never hears about Jesus. Now, I'm going to tell you this right off the bat. There is not one verse that I can take you to this morning that is going to answer that question. There's not one that specifically says, here's what happens. But what we're going to do is build an understanding through five different truths of God's word that I'm going to walk you through that's going to help us answer that question at the end. And I believe when we know the answer to that question, it's going to change the way a lot of us think and the way a lot of us operate. And so we want to answer that question, what happens to the person who never hears the gospel? Now, when we talk about the gospel, here's what we're saying. The gospel means good news. Uh, Now, it's not just like good news in general, like Oklahoma football lost yesterday, kind of good news, right? My wife is a big Oklahoma State fan. So for those boomer Sooners out there, sorry, right? Say that as sarcastically as I can, right? So when we say the gospel's good news, it's not just good news, but it's specific good news. And the gospel's specific good news is is the good news of how Jesus Christ has died on the cross for our sin, was buried in a tomb, three days later came back to life, that whoever comes by faith in Jesus right now, and you give your life to Christ, now you have a relationship with God that lasts forever. That's the gospel. That's the good news. But what happens to people who don't hear that when they die? There's a map I'm going to ask Daniel to put on the screen here. And this map comes from the Joshua Project. Wonderful resources on international missions if you want to look at it a little bit more. But in this map, you see there are areas of red, green, and yellow. 
the red on the map is going to represent people who are unreached, what we would call unreached people groups or least reach. So these are people in the red that have little to no access to the gospel, meaning that good news of Jesus and who he is and what he's done is not accessible to these folks. Now, the yellow means kind of there's a nominal presence there. And the green means that there's a pretty good established presence of this gospel message. Now, a couple of things about what this means. It does not mean that there are no Christians in the red. All right. There will be men and women in those red areas that do name the name of Jesus. It does not mean that there are everybody in the green and the yellow are saved. Right. What it means is all those in the red have little to no access of the gospel. There are over 2 billion people who live in those red areas on that map. 2 billion people who have little to no access right now today of the truth of the God we just sang to. So what would the Bible say about the internal destiny of 2 billion people in the red. Well, let me unpack five truths we're going to find out of Romans. The first truth is this. People have a knowledge of God. You have to understand people have a knowledge of God. Let's pick up in Romans chapter 1, and you're going to find in verses 18 through 20, as Paul is writing to the Christians in Rome, look at what he says in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown them. For his invisible attributes, namely his internal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Paul says in verse 18 that the wrath of God is revealed against unrighteousness. We understand that the Bible says God is a God of love. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of forgiveness. But we also need to remember the Bible teaches God is a holy God and God is a God of justice and God is a God of wrath. And so God pours his wrath and his justice out on sin and those who sin against him. Right, so because God is all those things, God just can't look at your life and go, oh, don't worry about that sin. You were just having a bad day. It was your boss's fault. Right? That wife of yours, she just keeps on nagging you. Right? You know, he never calls you when he's going to be late for dinner. Don't worry about all those things you said or you did. That's all their fault. Right? We would probably honestly like for God to do that on our behalf, right? But that's not the way God operates. That's not the way God works. The sin we do, we have to account for. And so God says in verse 18 that his wrath is against sin. But now notice what Paul builds out in verses 19 through 20. He's saying that all people have a general knowledge of God. And so this is what we would call the doctrine of general revelation. That anybody on the planet earth today can look out at creation and fundamentally understand there's a creator. 
All right, that someone had to make all of those stars. Someone had to put them there. That our universe is ordered and someone is controlling all of that order. That we can go to the Grand Canyon and go, wow, look at what God made. You know, I don't know how many of you have been to the Grand Canyon, but none of us are going to the Grand Canyon. We're standing out and looking out at it, looking to the person next to us and go, guess how many push-ups I can do? Yeah. Hey, guess what I had for dinner last night? What we're going to do is we're going to go to the Grand Canyon. We're going to stand there. We're going to look at it. We're going to go, whoa, look at this. This is amazing. This is awesome. Someone made this. And so anybody on our planet right now can look out. We can look up tonight at the stars and go, there is a creator. But the problem is that we often worship the creation and not the creator. We want to worship the things we've made. We don't want to worship the one who's made us. And so that's what Paul's saying, that every person has a general knowledge of God because God has revealed himself generally through creation. So our first truth is that, that people have a knowledge of God. But I want you to notice the second truth that Paul unpacks is this. People reject that knowledge of God. So everybody has a knowledge through creation. But people reject it. Let's pick up in verse 21. They reject God and his knowledge of him. For although, verse 21 says, they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, foolish in their hearts. They were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 24, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because notice verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So all people have a knowledge of God, but then people reject that knowledge of God is what Paul's continuing on that line of argument. And see, understand how the Bible unfolds and what's happened throughout history is when you come to your your whole Bible, this is one story laid out in 66 books from Genesis through Revelation. It's really all one story together that God has made us. We have sinned against him. God has made a way for us to have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And so that's really the whole story of the Bible. But when you come to the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis, you see that all people at one point in history had a knowledge of the one true God, that all people had a knowledge of God. But what happened is that as all people started dispersing away from each other and people started spreading out and new cultures started forming, those folks in some of those areas made a conscious decision not to pass down the truth of the one true God to the next generation. Instead, what happened is in through various cultures and various regions of our world, Paul's making the argument in Romans chapter 1 and verse 24 and 25, they started exchanging God for other things. They started making gods in their other images. So then this older generation taught the younger generation, no, 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 we don't worship one God, we worship many gods. Or we worship this God. And so what you see playing out in our world now, when you look at that map and all of the red, is you see generational lostness. You see generational failure. 
That's why the Bible over and over and over and over again says to one generation, pass down the truth of the gospel to the next generation. Pass it down, pass it down. Because it only takes one generation to lose the gospel. It takes one generation for that truth to start eroding. And so what Paul's saying in Romans 1 is people have a knowledge of God, but then people reject that knowledge of God. Now, I know some of you are thinking this because when you start talking about people, about what happens to people if they never hear about Jesus when they die, this is going to come up. And it may be coming up in your mind or you've had this conversation with someone or, or you're already typing me an email online watching at home and you're thinking, hang on, whoa, 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 wait, pump the brakes. There is an innocent person in Bangladesh this morning. And this is a good guy. He's a good moral guy. He does his best. He loves his family. He works hard. He tries to do all the right things. And this this good, moral, innocent man in Bangladesh, what happens to him when he dies? Well, see, I would say this. Because God's a, a God of justice and God's a mercy and God's a God of love, that if there is an innocent man in Bangladesh this morning who has never sinned, that he's good morally, that he does everything right and he does everything perfect, even though he's never heard the name of Jesus, God would let that man into heaven because God's a God of justice. He never sinned against God. The problem with that line of thinking is this. There's no innocent people. See, see people aren't innocent. The, 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 the perfect innocent man in Bangladesh this morning doesn't exist. Because Paul in Romans chapter 3, let's turn there, is showing you that we have all fallen short of God's standard of perfection, of God's perfective, you know, saying you have to be always holy. None of us can uphold that. And so that's what Paul's doing all throughout chapters 1 through 3 in Romans. If you've never read those three chapters, they're incredible chapters to read uh, this afternoon while you're watching the Texans. Read it during the commercial breaks if you need to. But but what Paul's doing is he's outlining that that we all fall short of God. We all need Christ. And when you come into Romans chapter 3, you pick up in verse 9. He says, what then? Are we Jews better off? No, no, not at all. We have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it's written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not one. So there are no innocent people, is what Paul's saying. Now, let me sidebar real quick, because I know another question has come back up into your mind. And and we want to tackle this question. We want to answer this uh, in the time that it needs to be answered. But I'm going to answer it very briefly. What about babies? What about small children? What about people with intellectual disabilities that can't grasp the gospel? What happens to them when they die? If you're saying there's no innocent people, what, what happens to them? Well, let me say that this, that's, a, that's a separate conversation from the one we're having. Because what we're having right now is the adult man in Bangladesh type conversation. All the red dots on the map. But I do believe that God is God fair and he's just and he's merciful. And I believe the Bible would teach that there is a, a point and a state of accountability within each one of us. 
that we reach a point in our lives where we understand right, wrong, we understand morals, we understand our need for Jesus. And so babies, small children, uh, people with severe intellectual disabilities, often they don't reach that point. And so I do believe that babies and small children, folks with intellectual disabilities, when they die, that they are in heaven because in that sense, they are innocent. You know, I, I have a 13-year-old son who really mentally uh, probably is about a four-year-old. You know, unless God just does radical work in my son's life, he will never reach that point of understanding right, wrong, and his need for Jesus. And so I, I, I cast all my hope on God's mercy and God's justice and God's love for my son, knowing that, that God is a God that is fair. And those that don't reach that point of understanding, that of accountability, I, I do believe are in heaven. And, and so what we're going to do is we're going to flesh that out about two weeks on our podcast and encourage you to read that because that's a deeper conversation than what we can have. Because what we're having is not that one. We're having this one over here right now that's saying two billion people right now have little to no access to the gospel and what happens to them. Because what we've seen so far is God saying that people have a knowledge of him, that people reject him, that there is none that are innocent. And I, I love what Paul says in verse 9, and we need to pause and we need to apply the questions in verse 9 to ourselves. He says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? Well, no, not at all. See, I think for our lives, we can fall a lot of the trap the Jews were in of the day. You see, the Pharisees and the Gospels. Well, we're better people because we know Christ. We're, we're better people because we showed up to worship and that person didn't. We're better people because we do this and they do that. And what Paul's saying is, no, 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 we're all on the same level field compared to God. That, that compared to God, we are sinners. You know, this morning I was reading in my devotion time, Luke chapter 18. And Luke chapter 18 is about two men who went to church. One of them is a tax collector. And one of them is a Pharisee. And you may have walked in the doors this morning as a Pharisee or a tax collector. But essentially the Pharisee walks in, the religious person walks in, he starts to pray in Luke chapter 18. He says, dear God, I'm so glad I'm not like that guy. Because God, that guy does this and that guy does this and he does this and he does this and I don't do that. This is what I do. And you may have walked in the doors this morning thinking that and having that in your heart. But Jesus then turns the story and he says, the tax collector puts his hand on his heart. He barely can hold his head up to heaven. And he says, God, be merciful to me. I am a sinner. And Christ said, that man went down to his house forgiven, not the Pharisee. See, you and I have to remember, it's not about just staying ahead of the other guy. When it comes to what we do in our lives, you're not one day going to stand before God and God go, hey, way to stay ahead of Timmy, right? Well, man, you aren't as bad as Sarah. No, God's going to say, let's deal with you. And so when you and I understand fundamentally the depth of our depravity, the depth of our sin is what Paul's saying, then the gospel comes alive. Then what we celebrate and what Jesus has done, it's amazing to us because we understand who we are compared to God. That we have sinned against him over and over and over again. But did you notice verse 11? Oh, don't, don't, don't miss verse 11. Wake your neighbor up at this point in the message if they have fallen asleep. Because verse 11 is good news in a world of bad news right now. None is righteous, no, not one. 
No one understands. No one seeks God. Why is that good news? Because the story of the gospel is God seeks you. The story of the Bible is God comes for you. So that even you and I, we can't seek him because we're dead in our sin. We're separated from him. The good news of the gospel is God comes for us. And God says, I love you. And I'm this God who made all these stars. Do you, you realize that it is estimated? There are a hundred billion galaxies in our universe. Stop and think of that for a moment. I mean, you, you stand up on a nice night and you can see all the stars. There's a hundred billion galaxies in our universe. How does that make you feel when you start thinking about a hundred billion galaxies? I feel small. I feel insignificant. When I think about the size and the expanse of all of our universe and a hundred billion galaxies. But do you know what the Bible says? That God demonstrated his own love toward you. That while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you that Jesus died for you one specific person in a hundred billion galaxies God loves you you and I don't have the capability of seeking him because of our sin but God says I want to seek you people have a knowledge of God people have rejected that knowledge we see Paul has said that that there are no innocent people. We need to understand this about salvation, that people cannot come to God apart from faith in Christ. People can't come to God apart from faith in Christ. Verse 21 says this, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus is for all who believe. There's no distinction. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ. Verse 25, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. Our fourth truth is this, that people cannot come in a personal relationship with God without faith in Christ. Paul shows you two works of Jesus on your behalf in that text. Let's go over them very quickly. I'm going to point out two words. First, you see the word redemption. That is Jesus that redeemed you. The idea of redemption in the New Testament kind of takes us to the slave market where you are bought out of slavery in freedom. If someone bought you from slavery, they redeemed you. They had to pay a price for that. It's Jesus, the Bible says, that redeems us out of sin. He redeems us from the slavery of sin. The price that Jesus paid was his blood, his death on the cross. So there's redemption. But then in verse 25, he uses a word that we often don't say out loud uh, because it's a little tricky. And some of us just honestly, we, you know, you, it's, it's hard. It's propitiation, right? I, I know we toss it around all the time in our life groups, right? Propitiation simply means this. It's appeasement. It's a real simple understanding 
that when Jesus was on the cross, God put all of our sin upon him. He bore his wrath down on Jesus, and Jesus' sacrifice appeased the wrath of God. We read about his wrath in Romans chapter 1. So Jesus took that place. He took your wrath upon himself, and God said that's a good sacrifice. It's satisfied. It's appeased. So think of it this way. Redemption is Jesus' work manward in salvation. Jesus redeemed you. Propitiation is Jesus' work in salvation Godward. Jesus dying for you satisfied God's wrath on your behalf. And so what Paul's saying is this, is that in order to be redeemed, in order to be justified, in order to be forgiven, you have to come to faith in Christ. Because at the end of verse 26, he says this, so that Christ may be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. So the first truth is this. All people have a knowledge of God. All people have rejected God. Third truth was there are no innocent people. Fourth truth is if you're going to come to God, you have to come to faith in Christ. That's the way that God has made. And this is our final truth. That people need to hear and respond to the gospel. That in order to be saved, people need to hear And respond to the gospel. Let's take our Bibles and if you've got them open or still on. And go to Romans chapter 10. In Romans chapter 10, Paul is continuing on this argument of why we need Christ and who he is in our lives. In Romans chapter 10, we're going to pick up in verse 12. And he says this. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. I I love verse 13. Verse 13 is one of my favorite verses in all of Romans. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's just good news to pause on, isn't it? No, No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter your background, no matter how far you've been away from the Lord, how long you've been away, just just pause and, and marinate in that truth of verse 13. Whoever, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What, a, what an awesome promise this morning. But then notice what Paul does is he builds an argument of rhetorical questions coming off of verse 13. And he says, well, how will then they call on him in whom they've not believed? How are they to believe in him whom they've not heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? Now, the word preaching there doesn't mean what I'm doing, standing on a stage preaching. It means sharing, witnessing, telling. Verse 15, and how are they to preach, tell, share, unless they're sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Verse 16, for they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, the Lord who has believed what we have heard from us. Verse 17 is so key. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So salvation, then Paul would argue, is impossible without hearing the gospel and responding in faith to Jesus. It's not enough just to hear. There's got to be a response because the gospel calls for a response. So I have to hear and I have to believe and place my faith in Christ in order to be saved. Paul's making the argument there. If there's any other way, then it's not God's way. 
See, see, you and I have to understand this. Because the argument comes up over and over and over. Wait a minute, if there's another way for someone who's never heard of Jesus to be saved, then do you realize what we should do then is leave them alone? See, understand the implications of this. If there is any other way for someone to be saved other than faith in Christ and they can die without knowing Jesus and go to heaven automatically, then the worst thing you can do is tell them about Jesus. Because what you then would have done with the innocent man in Bangladesh is put them in a position now to reject a God they didn't know about. So if there is a way for the man in Bangladesh, the people in all the red dots we looked at, to be saved apart from faith in Jesus Christ, we have no purpose as Christians. We have no purpose as a church. Just take church off their name. Let's just be a country club. We'll, you know, we'll hang out a little bit, share some snacks, tell some stories. The cake will have buttercream icing because, good gracious, Cool Whip is just awful, right? And let's just be honest. Who serves cake without buttercream icing? We have to get our food choices right, people. And ketchup doesn't go in the refrigerator. All right? I know that's a long-standing debate in this church, but we'll just settle it now because I'm the one talking. All right? But if there's a way without hearing Jesus, then why in the world would we condemn people to hell By telling them about Christ and giving them the chance to reject. Paul says, in order to come to God forever is to come to Jesus by faith. I love what this is really teaching us. Because what this is teaching us is that when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you join a movement that's bigger than yourself. And understand your walk with Christ is bigger than just you. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, now you are partnering with Christians all around the world to where we are now gospel spreaders. To where we say those people on the red dots in the map, they need hope. Because two billion of them right now are in darkness without hope. And we've got the hope. We've got the message. So let's partner together. Let's join a movement greater than ourselves. As Pastor Matt said earlier, that's why here at Heights we say our mission is to love and to lead all people. And when we say all, by golly, we mean all. We want all people to have new life with Jesus Christ. That's why we do things like the 1040 Challenge. You know, back in in mid-August, I stood before you and I asked, how many people do you as a church want to commit to invite from this point in August throughout the rest of 2020 to hear the word of God, to hear the hope of God's word. And you guys filled out these little cards for a couple of weeks and it all added up to 1,040 people. That's why we call it our 1040 challenge. And each week what we're asking to do is just invite people. Hey, watch us online. Come in person. You're going to hear the word of God. And when you do that, let us know. Just simply write write a number down that you invited. And at the end of our service, you can put that right there in those gray boxes. You can email it to us online. Let us know your stories. I got a chance to invite three people last week. Had a chance to invite a person this week. So I'm going to be filling my card out here in a moment. And I'll turn it in as well. 
That's why we do those things. That's why we have, if you're new with us, and Matt mentioned earlier, a four-by-four strategy. And our four-by-four strategy is simply this. Find four people that you know that don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. Pray for them four times a week. Invite them to four parties a year. Four times you can get together, have gospel conversations. You go out to dinner, you have them over to your house. And and we do that because it's all for him. So four people, four prayers, four parties is for him. I like to think of it this way. You climb into your four by four, pray for your four by four. Not the truck you're driving. Pray for those people. Always have them on your mind. That's why we do Operation Christmas Child. By you packing those shoe boxes, they're going to be sent around our world to boys and girls have an opportunity to hear about Jesus this year. In October 11th, we're going to start something called Pray and Go, where each month we're going to establish a neighborhood in our communities that we're going to go and prayer walk. And we're going to just go right there on those streets and pray for those community people, pray for those houses. And when you pray a house for a house, you're going to take a door hanger. You don't have to knock. You don't have to ring a doorbell. You don't have to talk to a person. Just put the door hanger on their door. And on that door hanger, it's going to say this house is prayed for by Heights Baptist Church. If you have any more prayer needs, we're here for you. Here's how you get in touch with us. But we want to blanket our communities with prayer because we believe prayer works and prayer changes lives. Amen? All right. And so we want to pray for those that are out there among us. But let me say also this. Your giving makes a difference. Being a part of a Southern Baptist church, we partner with mission boards. We partner with our state convention. And when you give, there's portion of that giving that goes to mission work. See, as a church, we determined to give 10% of all of our undesignated offerings over into missions. So that's going to start new churches in North America and around our world. That's going to help disaster relief. That's going to help uh, over 5,000 missionaries in 104 countries through our convention today. So that means this. If you give a dollar this morning, a dime leaves here and it goes to mission work all around our world. Why? Because we want to be passionate about people hearing about Jesus. And when you come to know Christ, you join a movement that is bigger than yourself. So let's look at that map again. And when you take a look at that map, now having the understanding that people cannot come to God apart from faith in Jesus. The understanding that there are two billion people with little to no access of the hope of Jesus Christ. What does that do right now to you mentally? What are you thinking right now in your mind? What does that do into your emotions? What does that do in your heart? When you think of the God you just worshipped, two billion people don't know Him. What is that going to do with your hands? What is it doing in your head and your heart? What will it do with your hands? Until the whole world hears. We want to be your hands and feet. We want to be a life that leads to set your captive free till the whole world hears.